If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Badlands podcast, the only podcast out there that is 100% chiseled and is proudly part of the Chairshot Media Group. Uh, I am Mags, and uh, I am flying solo today. Paul is uh, a little bit indisposed, uh, but uh, he doesn't get the opportunity to speak to one of our favourite people on wrestling Twitter. Um, been way too long since this person has been on the show. I mean, she was on the show back when we were still in Brainbuster mode, which is a, a hell of a long time. Yeah, everybody remembers how that went down. Uh, but yeah, I am so glad that we've reconnected. Uh, someone who, who kind of has gone kind of missing in uh, in wrestling Twitter. Now, do you know what? I've really, really missed her, so I'm glad she's uh, glad she's back. Today, it's the absolutely amazing Ori. Ori, how are you, ma'am? Hello, darling. I'm good. I'm just being mom, being wife, working here and there, and trying to get a Twitch stream. I've been doing the TikTok thing. <laughs> I don't know why it's so random. Like I'm not a cosplayer by any stretch of the imagination. My lip syncing is so, so, and I rant about things like I do every once in a while, but it's fun. It's goofy, silly fun. And that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm always good for a, a fun, goofy laugh. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and like I said, I, and it's not me blowing smoke up your ass or anything like that. I really have missed you. We've had some really good conversations. Um, you know, someone who, have to, who I've always appreciated and, and, and kind of respected their view on, on wrestling. Uh, and I'm glad that we're getting this opportunity to reconnect and, and just have a, a chat about, uh, about the world of pro wrestling. So, what have you been up to? Where have you been? Uh, how has your laugh with wrestling gone? Um, it's been up and down the last year. And I think that's, you know, for a lot of fans, especially female fans over the last year, like that that's not an uncommon situation. Um, when everything started to come out and the information um, there were people that I had had interactions with that I had to completely second guess. There were um, people that I had had interactions with or that I had wanted to had have interactions with that, you know, my trust both as a female and as a fan had to be second guessed. And I, I feel like that's um, that's probably really familiar for a, a lot of people just in general, whether you're male, female you know, non-binary, transgender, what, wherever you fall on the multitude of the spectrum, you know, you kind of rethink everything that you thought before, whether it's how you view this person, how you viewed an interaction, whether it was in person on Twitter at a show, you know, it, it, I think it, in a lot of ways, it left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth as it should. The information absolutely should have come out and it should have happened a long time ago, but I think for those who have, you know, gone on, done the right thing, attempted to make amends, um, those that didn't have information come out about them, you know, and were just affir reaffirmed as being good people, I think it helped um, restore a lot of faith mm -hmm. um, in wrestling as a whole. And I don't think we're there yet by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's still... Maybe not more to come out of it, but I think we're starting to get 
on the road to healing and having fans trust wrestlers and companies that things aren't just going to be, you know, slid under the ring apron, so to speak, or what have you. But I, I think I think we're getting there. And I think, you know, the people who deserve to be at the top, who got there the right way, are finally getting the pushes that they deserve. And, you know, I think it's, you know, it was a sucky situation overall. You know, there, you, you can't deny that. But I think some good is going to come out of it on the other on the other side, you yeah. know. Absolutely, and I will not ever begrudge anybody who feels that what happened over the last 18 months uh, has, has really turned them off wrestling. I, I, I would yeah. totally understand that. Um, like, I, like I mentioned to you pre-recording, uh, there was a, a, a tweet by uh, Tom Collier who said uh, that there's no ethical way you can be a fan of wrestling, and I, I have to agree, I've been a lifelong fan of wrestling. There was a period when I was checked out, uh, but I always kept up to date with what was happening. But with with all the stories that have come out and all the 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 abuse, I have I can totally understand why people don't want any any involvement in this. Uh, it absolutely makes sense, and I would not begrudge people. And I also like the the way you're positive about that. This could be kind of a, a good thing for wrestling that we're weeding out these these uh, very unsavory people. Uh, and I I still think we've got a long way to go. I mean, I uh, spoke to you uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, People are still being outed. Um, we, we're going to see that for a while. But what we're seeing is uh, mm-hmm. a profession that is willing to out these people rather than sweep it under the carpet. This kind of like kayfabe uh, story, what happens in wrestling, stays in wrestling, and, and kind of like it's the bro code. Hopefully we're getting to the point where that is gone. Uh, we we don't. It's not acceptable anymore. And these these people who have these histories and these past that, uh, of of abuse are going to be weeded out. Whether it happens now, whether it happens uh, in a few years down the line, you are going to be outed. Um, so yeah, it can only be good for wrestling that we get rid of this this horrific deadwood. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I, I was one of those people, you know, I, I told you before we started recording, I, I haven't really watched much in mm-hmm. the last 12 to 18 months. I mean, you know, I've watched a very, very little bit of WWE and most of that was for Edge, to be perfectly honest, because I started watching wrestling 20 years ago when the Hardys and the Dudleys and Edge and Christian, they were in Lita and Team Extreme and all that, that, you know, that was I was a hundred percent all in on that um, to steal a phrase from AEW (laughs) and, you know, to, to invest that much energy into something and have that information come out, you know, it, it was a physical and emotional drain. And so Mm -hmm. I just kind of had to step back. I've even, you know, as much as I love being the elite in AEW, I kind of had to step back from that as well. And I haven't really watched, you know, I did watch AEW Revolution last night, um, but I've got most of the weekly stuff just sitting on the DVR. You know, I haven't mm-hmm. watched BTE in probably six months, and I loved that. And, you know, was always wanting for it to be longer, like, these shows are not long enough. And so, but, you know, and and I'll get caught up. I think last night the the show that we watched really helped kind of reignite that a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and uh, especially with some of the women's wrestling that we saw last night, I thought it was really, really good. And, you know, who knows? I might be swinging around wrestling Twitter a little more often. <laughs> well, I would be so glad if that happened. And and it's uh, almost apropos that the, the topic we got leads into the the show that we had last night and that that was an absolute happy accident uh so yeah like Ori said for context we are recording the day after uh revolution uh 2021 and the uh the uh exploding barbed wire uh match that uh that kenny and um uh, moxley had and and the topic we're covering is uh the mount rushmore of hardcore wrestlers and and just researching my picks and watching so many kind of different iterations of these uh, these barbed wire exploding matches, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting to have that context between 
the old school kind of Japanese almost uh, led uh, hardcore deathmatch scene, and what we got um, last night. So it'll be it'll be fun to kind of compare and contrast. I think. I think so too. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people are are going to give AEW and Kenny and the whole company a lot of crap about what happened last night, especially the not. I won't say the finish. But the ending after the finish, they're going to give them a lot of crap, but um, we'll see how well this ages. So check back with me after this comes out. <laughs> but I, I think I know, I think I know how they can spin this. Like Tony's already started kind of spinning it saying, oh, well, um, he's a wrestler. He's not a carpenter. He's not an electrician or that. You know, what do you expect from <laughs> he, Kenny Omega? He drew his so, plans in crayon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I think we're going to get a little bit of troll Kenny. Like, really? You expected, you know, what did you expect from me? I'm not going to put myself in harm's way and potentially have myself blown up. Are you crazy? So I think I think we're going to get some of that kind of heel cleaner troll Kenny from it. And if I love Kenny so much, you know that. And so I think if anybody can spin this positively and make it work. It's Kenny. That being said, there's other things they could have done at the end of the match when that happened to kind of help things and make things better. But overall, like I'll, in the moment, I was like, what the frack? What the frack did I just watch? And this morning with some clarification, with, you know, clarity and a full night's sleep and stuff, I'm like, all right, all right, <laughs> we can spin this. Like, all of a sudden, I turned into Vince McMahon. Wake up, sadness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, being totally honest, I really enjoyed the match. I thought it was... I was never yeah. expecting it to be uh, like the matches I've been watching to research this topic. Uh, because it's a Western audience, uh, there's a lot... Uh, it's a younger demographic uh, in terms of fans. Uh, so I didn't really kind of hold it up against these uh these um uh, classics in terms of death matches but for what it was it was an, a really intense uh enjoyable match the finish it, it's probably going to go down uh in in history as, as uh, a botchamania special uh oh, yeah. but but it was funny though the thing was it was it was so over the top that you can't help but but laugh at what happened to me yeah um we had the sparklers off the posts. We had the the little plumes of smoke. Oh, uh, we had the overacting uh, commentary. I mean, Tony Schiavone, what a legend he is! I absolutely love the guy. But when he was saying that they could feel the heat from the explosions <laughs> at the commentary table, I'm like, really, Tony? Really? really? That is overacting. And then the, the cell from Kingston. That and you know, I was just gonna get onto that. That like, was brutal. they could have seriously like once they saw how it came out, like they could have had a ref run out there and been like, Eddie, it, it, it's over, it's it's done, and have him get up like, what the heck was that? Seriously, you wimp, you. Well, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> Come I mean, on, I mean, but but if they twist this right, I think they can break this down to becoming a Kenny Kingston feud. You know, an Omega Kings to feud. And that that could, I mean, that's a matchup we haven't seen yet. That's fresh blood in the water, so to speak. So, yeah, you know, again, check with me when this comes out. <laughs> you know, we'll see how well did that post-age. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, it's probably likely that Mox is uh, taking some time away anyway, obviously with uh, with Renee uh, being pregnant and, right. and just uh, he's been in the, the the main title pictures ever since he landed in, in AEW. So the, it's kind of one of those scenes where if they go away, you, uh, how can they be missed if they're always there kind of thing. Uh, yeah. But the storyline with Edda has been superb, that kind of like uh, best friends, uh, worst enemies thing. The way that Eddie come down to protect him oh chef's kiss it was beautiful oh, yeah. really good storytelling i want eddie to cut a promo this week on 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 dynamite absolutely selling the fact that he nearly died uh to protect moxley <laughs> i want him to go full into it no kayfabe just go full into this like 
it was terrifying. He he needed the the defibs. He needed uh, CPR. I wanted to just sell the hell out of it, just it's because you're smelling salts. Because you might as well. You might. Everybody yeah. knows it, it. It 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 went down not as as they planned. Just run with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm, if there's somebody who can do that. Eddie is the person to do that. Yeah, and I, and I have to admit, as, as someone who has been primarily out of the wrestling scene for six, eight, ten months, and to catch this pay-per-view just f- mainly just for, you know, the Moxley-Omega match, like, I'm invested in this. I want to see how they play this off. This is kind of reignited things a little bit for me so it's like now i've got all these you know i I work like four hours on friday and a full day on saturday i have a full freaking week you know to do nothing but sit back and throw it on while i clean house for the i don't know how many at the time so you know i've got like two or three months worth of uh dynamites to catch up on not to mention bte at some freaking point if i can remember where i left off so you know like Oh, I did catch the Brody Lee special. I will say that. I did catch that. That was one that, like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't miss. I had to, you know, yeah. that was, ooh, that was rough. Anyway. So, um, we've, we've mentioned the topic. Let's get into it then. Uh, so, we uh, decided, let's talk about the the very best of, of hardcore wrestlers. Uh, um, so, who is first on, on your list of uh, hardcore wrestlers? I got to go Tommy Dreamer. Interesting. I got to start with Tommy Dreamer. Well, I don't have to start with Tommy Dreamer. But you want to. But I do. I really do. There's something There's something about Tommy Dreamer, not only as a wrestler, but as a person that, you know, you see him do the stuff that he does and it's just, oh, my God. And then he's just like the nicest guy. So it, it, unless you like really knew him from that world. He just seems very guy next door, super nice. Mm-hmm. Let you borrow a cup of sugar. And I'm sure he really is like that too. So, you know, but he just, man, he he's done some stuff that you just look at and you're like, how are you still alive? Of course, I think that could be, that, that phrase could probably be thrown out for anybody we put on this list. Yeah. You know, so, but I just... There's just something so fun and relatable about Tommy Dreamer as a person that makes him so enigmatic and charismatic to watch. You know, he yeah. he he's just so much so much good darn fun. It's a it's a great pick, and he's it's not someone who I, who I picked. I did have him on my kind of shortlist, but uh, for me, he epitomised uh, Western uh, hardcore wrestling. With he was the face of ECW. Oh yeah, uh, I mean he was there from the the moment the company opened to the he was the guy who turned the lights off at the end. Um, really, kind of uh, gave his body for wrestling, uh, oh, yeah. and you can't not appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, an outstanding pick, and I cannot fault it at all. Um, I've gone a slightly different uh, route with mine. I've gone for for people who had who I didn't really know about. I mean, I was never a huge hardcore kind of deathmatch uh, fan. I got into ECW kind of at the death of it almost. I think the first actual ECW DVD I bought was uh, Guilty's Charge 2001, which was the last pay per view that they put on. Uh, so mm-hmm. I really kind of being in Britain, we didn't. It was really difficult to get all of uh, at the time. Uh, but I've gone back and watched a lot of the stuff, and yeah, it's uh, it's it does appeal to me. But I was never into that the hardcore kind of deathmatch style. Um, but going back and researching this, oh Jesus Christ, I've I've seen some things. I've seen some some so, real things. So let me because I, I I can admit I was the same way. Like when I was younger, you know, like oh no, I'm not gonna watch that. There's so much blood. Oh my god, it's so brutal. And now you're like, yeah, like I don't know what it is. Like as I get older, but like the spectacle of the death match, and I think there's also the there's something to be said that comes with age. That you know, as you're becoming deeper and deeper as a fan of wrestling, you start to realize the psychology and you realize, you know, since we had shows like tough enough 
and whatnot, you see what they have to go through just to train their bodies for mm-hmm. regular wrestling. So you know when they do these hardcore or death matches, there's not only the regular physics of wrestling, but there's other extra precautions that they need to take. They still need to fall a certain way to minimize damage. And so I think it makes you appreciate what they go through as performers even more, you know, like I'd always heard, and and I don't, I'm sure I I may have told you this. I may have told someone else, but um, I'd always heard, you know, when there's two wrestlers in the ring, no matter what kind of match it is, they're telling a story. Mm -hmm. And I never really understood and appreciated that until a friend of mine got me into Kenny Omega and I started seeing the Kenny Omega Okada matches. And the, the first one that I saw, I don't remember if it was round one or round two of that whole series of four or five matches, but I watched that, that match twice. I knew what the outcome was, who won and lost before I even watched it the first time. And I still felt myself so invested and cheering and grimacing. And, you know, when you add that death match element to it, you know, knowing what we know now as I won't say elder, but wiser people, (laughs) You know, I think it makes you appreciate For me, I wouldn't say wiser. <laughs> yeah, there's times where I could definitely not say wiser. But, you know, that knowing what we know now, um, being bigger fans of the sport, more appreciative, seeing the things that they have to put themselves through just as regular wrestlers, it makes you appreciate the art of the hardcore death, hardcore slash death match even more. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally echo everything you've just said there. The if I'd have got into this wrestling uh, when I when uh, I was in my teens, early twenties, stuff like that, I probably wouldn't have appreciated the the hell that these these wrestlers put themselves through for entertainment. Um, oh yeah, it's it's awe inspiring almost that they they are willing to sacrifice so much of their body for to entertain a group of, of fans it's it's really really uh i'm so much more appreciative of it now than i would have been some 20 years ago i suppose yeah and i mean even 20 years ago we got tastes of it when we got tlc and tlc2 with the hardys and dudleys and edge and christian but you know what We've researched and watched since then, you know, even stuff 20 and 30 years ago is just, that's the tip of the flipping iceberg. That's, yeah. I, you know, not to negate the the sacrifices that those six men, I had to count, that's horrible, six men <laughs> did. But like, when you look at the the larger picture of what hardcore and, and deathmatch wrestling is, it's... That's it seems like child's play, even as dangerous and scary as it was, you know, yeah. it's like, mm, well, OK, so, so let's get into my first pit then. And uh, I'm going straight to the, the top of the tree for man uh, at Sushi Anita. Um, oh, yeah. So for people who don't know him, and I certainly I, I knew of him, uh, but I'd never really kind of uh, knew a lot of his backstory. He is essentially the father of hardcore wrestling. Um, you get Terry Funk and Mick Foley, they're called hardcore legends. Uh, but for people in the know, Anita is the person who, who blazed that trail. Oh, yeah. Um, he was uh, actually the, uh, a graduate of the All Japan Dojo. Uh, I think he was the first actual graduate. He was uh, the ace of the junior division. Um, but um, about a decade into his career, uh, and after a broken leg, he was forced to, to retire. Um, but the itch never went away. He wanted to still continue wrestling. Four years later, uh, he decided to make his return. Um, initially wanted to sign for uh, the UWF, but uh, they turned him away. So he did what a lot of wrestlers do, and he formed his own wrestling uh, with blackjack and hookers. Uh, but he decided to form what became um, one of the most infamous uh uh, promotions in in uh, deathmatch wrestling, frontier martial arts wrestling, otherwise known as FMW, and their go-to match was the deathmatch. Uh, they, they were just totally into this super hardcore style of wrestling. Uh, so they started with street fights, uh, genuine martial arts fights, just standard deathmatches. I mean, it's weird saying a standard deathmatch, uh, right? But, and, 
Anita really kind of started to to innovate uh, in this kind of world of, of gruesome wrestling. Uh, he was the first person to have a barbed wire uh, around the ring. Uh, he had several barbed wire rope matches. He invented the the no rope explosive barbed wire match, kind of like the one we've uh, we've watched uh, yesterday. Uh, in 1991, he had a series of matches against Mr. Paul Cole that uh, included explosive landmines. In 1992, he upped the ante a little bit more when he started having uh, Ring of Fire death matches. Um, one uh, especially uh, infamous uh, was when the ring and the all arena basically set on fire within minutes, mm-hmm. uh, and that that match got uh, got basically uh, called a no contest because uh, the the wrestlers were being cooked alive almost. Mm. Um, in 1993, he uh, he faced off against Mr. Pogo again uh, in an electric bomb cage exploding ring time bomb death match. I mean, this guy was so it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Um, in in 1994, he uh, he lost a retirement match to uh, to his uh, one of his uh, longtime rivals, Tenryu, uh, Ten uh, in an electric bomb cage match in front of 51 thousand people uh, for a hardcore death match um he didn't retire in fact he uh he carried on wrestling for a full year uh and doing a retirement tour that year he had 164 matches and the majority of them were some sort of hardcore or death match uh enough in a year dozens of no rope matches dozens of no rope uh, barbed wire street fight matches um Double hell death matches, which were both standard and exploding. Penalty marks in elimination death matches. A pool elimination death match. Yen on a pole street fights. And then in his actual retirement match, uh, he faced off against Hayabusa in an ex- electric bomb cage exploding time bomb death match <sighs> in front of 58,000 fans this time. Um he, Hayabusa would win that match and uh, Anita faded out of, uh, of the picture for, for the time being. But wrestlers, and especially hardcore wrestlers, they don't tend to retire. Uh, and then over the next 25 years, Anita would still wrestle 395 matches in some form of a, of a death match or another. And he's even wrestled 10 times in the current kind of pandemic era that we've had. Uh, and eight of those have also been a death match. And just to kind of rubber stamp the point that this guy was a crazy bastard, he's got the record for the most amount of stitches needed after a wrestling match when he needed 111 uh, in a match against um, Masashi Ayoge. And in his whole career, he's had 1,032 total stitches. So first pick... Anita, it had to be. <laughs> yeah, it really did. Like the, the man is all absolute, total, complete, one hundred percent respect. He's a badass. There's just no other way to to. He's the ultimate badass, you know. And if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have the enjoyment of some of these. Even if it doesn't go full hardcore you know that some of the matches that we've had the ideas for the matches that we've had like if it wasn't for him innovating that style and putting it out there like the first time i had ever heard of him was um vice did um a series about wrestling and wrestling around the world and they covered japanese wrestling and um i want to say they actually that there's there's a store over in japan that has like hundreds of memorabilia from Western wrestling, British wrestling, you know, I think we've seen it a couple of times in BTE episodes uh, where they've gone in there, but someone found like the infamous kendo stick from the Onita match and bought it and then went and met up with him at, Oh God, what's the steakhouse? The super popular steakhouse that all the wrestlers go to and they give them the jacket. I can't think of it right now. Jimmy's? No, that's the seafood place, isn't it? No, it's not Jimmy. It's it's in Japan. It's in ah. Japan. I can't think of it right now, but he went and met him at that restaurant, showed him the stick, the kendo stick, and had him sign it. 
Wow. And like, he was like, just holding this in my hand right now just brings back so many memories. And I was, I watched that like a little kid at a Disney movie. I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, it was, oh, God. It, it It's, and, you know, when they're showing clips of everything, because they were talking about, you know, hardcore deathmatch wrestling as a whole. I think they talked to Ricky Shane Page and um, Sammy is, Callahan. Is it Ribera? Yeah, Ribera. Yeah, they went and saw him at Rivera Steakhouse and like, man, that whole series on Vice is just freaking phenomenal. Yeah. But um, I mean, it shows yeah. its influence. Uh, uh, we're getting we've well, we've just watched the the first AW kind of exploding uh, barbed wire match. And he was uh, in the in the crowd for the, the go home show. Of, of AEW yeah. for this for for this pay per view, so his his influence is is being uh, shown thirty years after he even decided to start being a hardcore wrestler. So yeah, it's uh, I mean, and if it wasn't I had for to him, him. We, yeah, we wouldn't have things like the elimination chamber matches, you know, which is te- usually something that I really enjoy in some of the spots that we've gotten in those matches where people are falling through the top or the doors breaking in on the, the pod and all this other stuff, you know, it, we wouldn't have these type of things. So to, uh, I had a feeling you were going to put him on there and that's why I was like, no, nah, I'm going to go a different direction. So you, yeah, you can't, you can't have this list. You can't even mention a hardcore death match wrestling without mentioning him so that's heck yeah oh yeah let's let's go to you then or if your second pick uh who's gets that number two spot so mine are kind of all in no particular order but i'm gonna throw you for a loop on this one probably early 2000s there was this tv show on this fairly new network and it was a wrestling show, and I kind of liked it. And they tried to go up against uh, WWE, but they failed. But they had a hardcore wrestler on there that I absolutely loved and appreciated, not only for his hardcore wrestling work, but for his regular character work, his work ethic, and just him all around as a person. And that would be Abyss. <laughs> So and 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 I knew when I started saying it, like you would kind of, I caught that grin, like like yeah, I know she, where she's going with this. But like the monsters ball matches, you know, and um, steel chain dog collar match and full metal mayhem, like he helped innovate these matches for TNA. You know, he was also, I believe, in a Destination X match, which those were just freaking nuts. And so I can't, you know, he. Like, Abyss is just, I don't know. Like, he's what, I feel like he's what Kane would be if Kane went, like, full hardcore. Yes. For me, he's always reminded me of a mix of Kane with the the mentality of a a Mick Foley. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and even him doing um, his straight kind of... um, the, where the it jo- was Joseph Park, Joseph Park Esquart, M- yeah. yeah, Mr. Joseph, where it's him, but it's not him. Like that was just, it was brilliant. Great you know, it was amazing. And I think, as as a wrestler in general, I think he is very underrated. You know, I think he definitely needs more credit where credit is due. You know, I think he's one of those people, just like AJ Styles and Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt and quite a few others, um, Eric Young and Motor City Machine Guns that helped build that show to what it was at its mm-hmm. height. Yeah. You know? So and absolutely I think to, a great pick. Yeah. And I, th- I think now he's working as, a, as a, I want to say, an agent or a producer for, for WWE. So it was obviously right. his talent was, was recognized. And for me, um, I like the fact that he brought that hardcore style to almost a prime time show. Um, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I think he's very, very underappreciated. I wouldn't say underrated so much, but I would definitely say very much underappreciated for what uh, the, the kind of like the, the diversity he brought to, to TNA cost at, at one point they had 
arguably the best wrestlers in the world uh, in terms of talent. Uh, but oh, yeah. you, you needed that kind of a palate cleanser, and Abyss certainly had that. And that's not to say he couldn't go in the ring. He absolutely could go. In, oh, yeah. in standard matches, he was as agile a big man as, as you will get. Uh, but when he turned it up and he uh, his, uh, his love for, for uh, thumbtacks is, is legendary, uh, to put yourself through that um, is, yeah, much respect to the guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's a, a great second pick. Um, I'm going to continue down the uh, the Japanese uh, trail for my second pick. And uh, if we class Anita as the father of hardcore wrestling, um, then Mitsuhiro Matsunaga is, I would say, is the illegitimate son of hardcore <laughs> wrestling. Um, he was literally a couple of months into his wrestling training when he... Uh, he started taking part in death matches. Um, he uh, he teamed up with a, a guy called Jerry Blayman in a, a losing effort to Anita and, and Tarzan Gato. Um, but he kind of like kept in the standard uh, wrestling mode for for a while, uh, doing the odd hardcore match. Uh, but it wasn't until like the late um, late nineteen ninety two when he started to really kind of lean into death matches more. Um, and it and Anita actually took him under his wing uh he, he he kind of like was looking at maybe having uh um matsunaga as as his kind of apprentice almost um he was uh involved in the uh, an infamous um hardcore kind of fmw storyline where um there there was a, a a rival promotion called wing uh, and they was in the same kind of vein as FMW, but unfortunately they couldn't compete in terms of, of, of uh, drawing ability, and several of their t- uh, talents ended up working uh, for FMW, so they did a kind of almost an invasion storyline, and Matsunaga was was heavily involved in that. Uh, but unfortunately, Matsunaga and, and Anita kind of drifted apart, and he left uh, the company to go and join another kind of a deathmatch-centric company in uh, Big Japan. Uh, and it was it was here where um, Matsunaga kind of like realized he he could also innovate in terms of uh, in terms of death matches. So he he took part in many of uh, the no ropes barbed wire style matches, but he started bringing in things like like barbed wire tables and barbed wire boards, even scaffolding. Um, but he really cemented his hardcore legacy with uh, with a match that is widely considered to be the best hardcore death match in history. He faced a wrestler called Kendo Nagasaki in the Yokohama Amazon River Piranha death match. Now, Jeez. for those who haven't watched this match, uh, let me just kind of set the scene. Uh, you've got the standard um, hardcore death match uh, ring with uh, barbed wire ropes, but in the middle, you have a, a, a glass fish tank full of piranhas, essentially. Oh, uh, Lord. Now, the, the arena was absolutely packed. Everybody wanted to watch this match. And these two wrestled uh, for 20 minutes with barbed wire tables, bats, everything barbed wired. Um, and with, uh, with, without actually entering the, the 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 fish tank but what they did was they kind of like bled into it they kind of like oh. teased the crowd really kind of whipped the the piranhas into a frenzy because once they they get the taste of blood they get yeah uh, very very excited and the crowd as well they were also uh whipped into a frenzy um really on on tender hooks uh it's not often you see a hardcore uh crowd silent and that was what, what was happening. Everybody was invested. Matsunaga ended up losing this match. Uh, he was pushed into the uh, the fish tank. Uh, his opponent, uh, Kendo, put a board on top of the, the fish tank and then led on it so he couldn't get out. Oh, my um, God. I have to go watch this. This is insane. It's mental. It's honestly mental. Uh, it takes about four or five other wrestlers to come and... Uh, Praz, uh, uh, Kendo from the from the the board to get Matsunaga out of the uh, out of the the piranhas. He's got huge chunks of his chest ripped out by the by the fish, 
Uh, it's absolutely mental. Uh, but it wasn't even finished there. You think that you've done that? You, that's the pinnacle? Oh no, he uh, he certainly lived up to his Mister Danger persona. He started championing using broken glass in matches. He pushed for light tubes, thumbtacks. Uh, he had barefoot thumbtack matches. Um, he had matches called Firestone matches, uh, barbed wire spider nets. Um, but he then kind of went back to uh, using nature because he had matches with uh, scorpions and with alligators and crocodiles. Oh, um, no, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> he actually retired in 2009, and uh, he he was one of the 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 few hardcore wrestlers that stayed retired. And he actually he runs a successful steakhouse uh, franchise now, uh, based off his uh, character, Mister Danger. So yeah, uh, if I'm going to have a, a neater on the list, I've got to have his uh, apprentice, uh, Mitsuhiro Matsunaga. That's crazy. Yeah, because I've watched a video of like. You know, because when you're a kid and you watch TV shows, whether they're cartoons or whatever, um, you know, you think uh, quicksand is going to be a thing and piranhas is going to be a thing. You feel like you're going to encounter these things much more, you know, as a grown up than you ever do, which is mm-hmm. usually never, you know. And so, you know, we were all afraid of piranhas. But like I've watched somebody with like a pet piranha tank and. He can stick his whole hand in there, and it's like nothing. But you throw meat in that thing, and they go nuts. Yeah. Uh, well, they're, they're actually really timid animals. Um, it, it's just the, there's something in the the, the protein of, of blood that, that really kind of uh, just Kicks whips them, them off. Up. Yeah. They they rip the shreds out of uh, out of uh, Matsunaga. So, yeah, if, uh, go and see this match. I think it's on YouTube. Uh, so it's, it's not. Not hard to find, but, yeah, the guy was a mental case. <laughs> well, okay, but let's be honest. <laughs> Anybody who does, like, hardcore deathmatch wrestling, they're a little bit... And some of us who like it are kind of mental <laughs> cases a little bit. I'm just speaking from personal experience. I'm, I'm certainly not, not uh, shaming, but it certainly opened my eyes watching uh, two guys trying to essentially kill each other with piranhas. <laughs> Golly, the, yeah, that's that one's going to be on a playlist somewhere to watch later when I haven't eaten or, <laughs> you know, when the stomach can handle it because I just have a feeling already. Ooh, that's awesome. Though. <laughs> it, honestly, See, really, really, really um, So let's refresh the palette and then go with your third pick. Okay. Okay. Um, you got to go with Mrs. Foley's baby boy. You got to put third pick as well. My third pick as well. You got to go with Mick Foley. I mean, not only did he take the time to go to Japan and learn and be a part of their culture where it all started, but he helped to bring it to America. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for God's sakes, the man gave his ear. You know, for the for hardcore deathmatch wrestling. Yep. And so and he's reinvented himself so many times, you know, but still, whether he was Cactus Jack, whether he was Mankind, you know, even whether if he was Dude Love, I think that love of hardcore and deathmatches and whatnot, that was there. That wasn't going anywhere. And you would catch elements of that no matter what character he portrayed. And now he's Santa Claus, but Santa Claus that could still probably kick your butt and, you know, throw you into some barbed wire. And I would probably say thank you for the opportunity, Mr. Foley. I appreciate it. So, honestly, it's a a perfect pick. And like I said, he's my third pick. Uh, For me... the, my first vision of hardcore wrestling was his match with uh, Terry Funk, where uh, they both were absolutely just... I mean, you, you hear the term crimson mask in wrestling. Mm-hmm. This was a crimson mask. This was... You could not see his face because it was just covered in sticky, bright red blood. Um, it was absolutely brutal. And uh, that that uh, 1995 tournament, the the King of the Death match, where it, it was basically a one one night show uh where each match uh brought a new 
and kind of more deadly gimmick to the to the game. Um, he, I think, he faced Terry Gordy in the first round, which was a, a standard uh, barbed wire baseball thumbtack match. Um, then in the second round, he faced Shoji and Nakamame, um, which was a barbed wire board bed of nails match. I mean, <laughs> bed of nails, yeah, that's just absolutely terrifying. And then in the final. The one I'm on about the 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 uh, Terry Funk match, his best friend and his uh, his kayfabe nemesis. Um, this was a barbed wire rope exploding barbed wire boards exploding ring time bomb match. Um, the match is actually only thirty minutes. I thought it was a hell of a lot longer than that, uh, and it's very. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to watch knowing what these two put themselves through. And these are two people who were best friends doing this to each other. It's brutal. Um, after about 10 minutes... at the same time, some of that makes for some of the best stuff because you know each other so well, you trust each other, you're willing to push yourself a little bit farther. And so that, you know... Absolutely. Yeah, they can be, you know, best friends off to the side. But, you know, it, it in a weird way, it's like the... Um, uh, which is not going to be a hardcore death match, but you, you'll you understand where I'm going with this. When we got um, the Young Bucks versus Kenny and Hangman, you know, having that type of camaraderie outside of the ring and working together for so long, you know, you trust these people because you have to when you're a wrestler. You have to trust your opponent with your life. You're taking your and their life into your into each other's hands. And so when you trust somebody on such a level, it allows you to push even farther than you normally would, I think. Um, now I can't, you know, neither one of us can completely speak to that because we aren't wrestlers. We've never trained. But, you know, I'd be willing to do a lot more death-defying stuff with my best friend than I would, you know, or my husband, than I would just somebody I went to high school with 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I totally agree with you. For, I've just uh, finished, before recording with you, I've just finished recording another podcast with uh, Simon Powell called Chain Wrestling. And we looked, we watched over um, the Bret Hart and Owen Hart match from WrestleMania 10. Mm. Uh, and it kind of speaks to exactly what you've said. Uh, the the best you get the best out of somebody when you uh, know them almost intimately. I mean, that match for me is is so crisp and smooth. It's two guys uh, who have wrestled each other from being toddlers, and you know they know how each person works inside and out. And kind of like like the Hangman and uh, uh, Omega versus uh, Young Bucks. These guys know each other. These have been best friends for such a long time. They know how far they can go with each other. They eat, everyone knows uh, each other's wrestling style, and it makes for a better match. And that's it links perfectly to what Terry and uh, Mick were able to do with each other. They knew that if they were going to push it to the extremes, that there was nobody better in the ring to to be with than each other. Um, yeah. And they they were the perfect foils for each other, and and just going back to Mick, um, it was only about eight months after this King of the Death match he ended up being in WWF, so that really must have uh, you can see how that influence brought him over to to the West, and he brought that style with him. Uh, uh, obviously coming in as Mankind, but the stuff he did with Undertaker, uh, the the street parts he did with Triple H, the stuff with Randy Orton, all influenced because he was a uh, he was heavily involved in this uh, in this uh, hardcore scene with uh, his best friend uh, Terry Funk, and that's I think that's kind of the thing that a lot of people who prefer traditional style wrestling overlook is that you've got to get those fundamentals pr- for you know traditional wrestling first before you can really throw yourself off a cage. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, and the there was one wrestler in particular who, for the sake of things, I will remain nameless, but they got people would get so hung up on the fact that he was a hardcore deathmatch wrestler that when they would see him wrestle, they'd be like, This guy can really wrestle. And it's like, yeah, like most of these guys, they really can, you know. The, the, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of 
backyard wrestlers who've done things in their house and they're doing things for grins and giggles and to make entertainment for their friends. And, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody and nobody else is getting hurt, I'm perfectly okay with it. You know, it's your insurance, you know, or lack thereof. It's your medical bill. But most of these guys who are really into this hardcore deathmatch wrestling, they've taken the time not only to study professional wrestling as it is, you know, the the classic style, Jim Cornette style, if we want to put it that way. <laughs> but they've also put in the time to actually study it as an art and as a craft and to make those relationships to be able to do that, you know, put that level of trust into someone else, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. and have that reciprocated. Absolutely. Um, so, seeing as we agreed on uh, on the third pick with Mick Foley, let's uh, let's go into the one that that rounds off your Mount Rushmore. Ay ay ay. Okay, I have a feeling that your number four could because I have like a list of five. Okay. And I think your number four might be this one, so I'm going to go with the other one. So I'm going to say Al Snow. Oh, it was, it was not my number four. Which is why I, because I figured the other person would be, and okay, you might so, throw me so, a swerve completely. So but I love Al Snow. Before we, you get into Al Snow, just for context, who was the, the alternate? Terry Funk. Again, no. I, I really? didn't go for Terry Funk. Well, may, I guess maybe since we, you know, we had already <laughs> kind of touched on Funk, because you can't really talk about Foley without talking about Funk. I Absolutely. Mean, you could really stick them side by side on a Mount Rushmore, you know, without they, funk, there's no Foley without Foley. There's no funk. They really go hand in hand when it comes to hardcore deathmatch wrestling. Absolutely. I mean, the only reason I didn't include uh, Terry Funk was because he had such a long career and only a relatively kind of short period of it was, was actually hardcore wrestling. Uh, it was mainly a lot of uh, standard wrestling. So that's why I kind of like separated him. But I totally agree with you. I think him and Mick uh, go together like peas and carrots. They're inextricably linked. Um, and you cannot mention one without mentioning the other. So I, I do agree with you that, but I didn't go with him on my list. Well, we'll and, and especially, you know, when you talk about, Wrestling in America, in Western culture, you know, bringing it ECW and that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I really like Al Snow. Al was just just really fun to watch, especially with head and everything. A matter of fact, I saw him in New Orleans when I was probably 22, 23. We had gone down to Bourbon Street just for grins and giggles. And he was there with a very nice lady whom I'm assuming is or was his wife and he walked into a store and I grabbed my friend who was not a wrestling fan at all and I kind of followed him for a minute and I'm one of those people like when you're in the limelight so much when you're off you deserve the chance to be off Absolutely, and yeah. so I kind of should I shouldn't I and then I just I finally just left him alone but in doing TikTok I have actually become friends with a girl on TikTok who is Al Snow's adopted daughter her name is Jenny and okay. so you know, I've gotten to talk to her and she tells wonderful stories about Al and whatnot. And so last night when we saw him on AEW, I was like, it, it didn't like, it wasn't a, it's Al Snow type of pop. It was like, it's Jenny's dad type of pop. <laughs> oh, that is so cute. <laughs> because that's where my brain went, you know, because I've been on TikTok way too much. But yeah, you know, I just, I, there, I, and I don't think it's not, blah, 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 blah. let me try that again. It's not just his hardcore wrestling, like, it's him as a person as well. Um, I really loved the show Tough Enough when it initially came out. And to see, it, it was the first time I think we really got to break the fourth wall with wrestling, as it were, and kind of pull back the curtain and really take a look at things and to see these wrestlers as people and he got, you know, as as much as he gave those those potential wrestlers, he Josh Matthews kind of gave it back to him quite a bit during that show, and he really kind of took it on the chin and was kind of like, 
all right, kid. All right, kid, your time's coming. All right. All right. And so, you know, there was something about that that I really appreciated. But, Mm -hmm. you know, he was one of those that I just really, there was something about him. I just gravitated toward him. I enjoyed watching him work. I enjoyed, you know, watching him be a person, you know. And I think that seeing that kind of endeared him more to me and, you know, led me to, to appreciate him and hardcore because you know once again i was on the back i didn't get into wrestling until early 2000 and so by then ecw was almost out i'm in south louisiana so i had no idea what or where ecw was and so until the invasion actually happened i hadn't a clue so it was one of those things that when he came along it kind of pushed me to kind of look into it a little bit more, especially as I got older and started getting into the hardcore deathmatch scene more. Yeah, um, I could wax lyrical about Al Snow. I think he's, uh, he's another so, un, so underappreciated uh, talent. And it, the stuff he did with Head, the stuff he did oh, with Steve yeah. Blackman. I mean, oh, yeah. That, that tag team, I mean, it was only together for a few months, but it resonates so much. A head cheese. And um, the, I, I remember the, the Mississippi River match he had with uh, with uh, Bob Holly, where he was wrapped up in a fence. Yeah, it was such a, a, such a good storyteller uh, in, in hardcore wrestling. Um, he even had a match uh, against Too Cool, him and Head, were wrestling against mm-hmm. Too Cool, and um, the the ending to that just always makes me uh, chuckle because Too Cool get a bottle of Head and Shoulders, uh, and they attach it to Head so they can pin the head by pinning the shoulders down. <laughs> it's uh, so so good. Forgotten about that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a great pick, uh, but it's not one that I, I considered. And again, like I said, I didn't go with Terry Funk. Uh, but I think you'll uh, you'll appreciate my last pick. Um, okay. I'm going with Sabu. Yes. Now I, uh, you know I tossed I tossed Sabu around as well as well as Sandman, and mm-hmm. I was like, there's so many good people who came out of ECW that it's really I mean Mick Foley's kind of the shoe in. You know, to to me anyway. But there's so many other people. I mean, Devon and Bubba Ray Dudley. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people. Bob Holly. You know, there's just a, incredible. So uh, many Steve people. Carino. Yeah, that Steve Blackman. You know, so many people that could be thrown on this list that it it gets kind of hard. You know. Yeah. So the reason I went with uh with uh, Sabu is is one event that happened in ECW uh, and I'll get to that in a little bit I just want to give a little bit of a, a, a history of Sabu and why he, uh, he fell into uh, hardcore wrestling so everybody knows he's the nephew of the original Sheik uh, who was a pioneer in, in hardcore wrestling himself he was the promoter of uh, Big Japan uh, and he brought his nephew over to kind of learn that hardcore style and and Sabu then brought that to ECW and, and really kind of like uh, paved the way for a lot of those wrestlers that we've just uh, spoken about. Uh, but whilst he uh, was in uh, in Japan, he, he worked for FMW as well, and he was involved in that infamous Ring of Fire match that I spoke about earlier. Uh, and he's actually said in an interview that uh, the ring burned for 19 hours uh, and they couldn't put the, the, the fire out. Um, but he made his way to the West, uh, to ECW, uh, that kind of uncontrollable madman gimmick where he was uh, strapped to a gurney, really sold with the those kind of uh, alternate fans who wanted something different to uh, WWE and WCW at the time. Um, he became known for breaking tables, uh, and there's many a match where he would intentionally just throw himself through a table because the table didn't break in the first place and he wanted to make sure that that <laughs> table broke. Uh, but for me, the, the reason why he had to be on this list was... Uh, at Born to be Wired. Um, he had a match that was promoted as too extreme for ECW, uh, again, facing Terry Funk, the hardcore legend. Um, he was involved in a, what we would now call a standard barbed wire match after all the, the horrific stuff that we've watched. Right. But in the most infamous spot in this match, he attempted to air Sabu, which is like a splash into the corner. Uh, but Terry moved out of way. 
and Sabu got tangled in the barbed wire and it gave him a, a torn bicep and a 10-inch wide gash in his arm. Um, you would think that that would stop the match, but uh, this is Sabu we're talking about. He absolutely did not stop. He, he shouted to Bill Alfonso, who was his manager, for some uh, ring tape, taped the wound shut um, and carried on, carried on wrestling. Uh, the end of that match actually came when both guys were so tangled in barbed wire that uh, several people had to come with wire cutters just to get the the two guys out and and back back to uh, uh, backstage. Paul Heyman has said in an interview that the match was so gruesome that he would never put one on again. Um, and, and that's that saying was, something for for, for, for Paul Heyman. Lee. Absolutely. Uh, but this was not just, this wasn't even the worst thing that happened with Sabu. He broke several ribs in a match against Cactus Jack. He's broken his jaw twice, uh, once uh, against Taz, and then another one in a table match against, uh, with a uh, tag team table match with RED against Sandman and Tommy Dreamer. Uh, and if you uh, get the chance, I'll definitely go back and see this because he attempts a triple moonsault. Uh, but he hits his mouth on the leg of a of an upturned table. Um, it actually knocked several of his teeth out. Obviously broke his jaw and was was inches away from severing his throat. It was that horrific. He's broken his neck twice. Uh, once with a uh, when uh, with Chris Benoit when he attempted to turn in midair to take a backdrop. Uh, uh, and yet instead of kind of flapjacking out, he landed square on his head. And then the second time he was uh, tazplexed through a table. And this uh, homicidal, genocidal maniac still wrestles now, uh, still doing the same kind of brutal style. Uh, it was very recently, he did a barbed wire board match. Uh, he's done no rope barbed wire matches and he's uh, done an, an amazingly titled. I mean, some of the matches have had great titles, but I think this is the best for me. It's a yeah. barbed wire, board and barricade, mats, scramble, bunkhouse, tornado, lumberjack and certified weapons, OK and grossing 7 million yen contention deathmatch. Good Lord. So much, yeah. Ooh. So, my final I'm tired just hearing that. Set. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to spell it, that's for damn sure. <laughs> it need a poster of its own just to explain it, right? Good grief! So, yeah, that's my final pick. Um, Sabu, um, two amazing, uh, and very different Mount Rushmore's we've got there. Um, I like the fact that you kept yours relatively tame as well, kind of like a almost like a refresher for the horrific stuff that I had to go through to to research yeah. this. There's, there's, I mean, and that's the thing, you know. Once you start down that rabbit hole, it gets deep and oh, it gets it messy. It gets so messy, mm -hmm. you know, and and. Ooh. I got the willies. <laughs> yeah, it can it can get kind of grody, and I I can understand why some people just aren't into it. But when you start to really understand the psychology, when you start to really understand, you know how these guys train and how they put their bodies on the line, while you may not appreciate the aesthetics of it, you know, and what happens during it, then you can at least appreciate what they do and what they put themselves through, you know, cause I, I'll be honest, if you watched AEW revolution and watched Kenny versus Mox, and that was too much for you, or even the previous Kenny versus Mox hardcore match, if that was too much, don't go, go research any of it. Yeah. Do not just go looking at do this yourself yet. a favor. <laughs> just listen to this and live on <laughs> but, <laughs> because uh, once you get down that rabbit hole, you're going to yeah. find some stuff and you're going to be like, I'm sorry, what <laughs> you did? What was what? Oh dear God. But if that has kind of wet your appetite, definitely go and look up, uh, uh, some of these matches because yeah, they, these, these go hardcore in every sense of the word. Oh yeah. There's, there's, you know, light hardcore. Like, if I were to describe light hardcore, think WWE hardcore title belt early 90s. 
Mm-hmm. Like some of it, you know, it, it probably gets, but I loved, I love that because it was a good introduction to hardcore, hardcore, even the 24 seven title that they had recently. There's, while that may not have had the hardcore element to it, you know, it kind of had that same fun tongue in cheek falls count yeah. anywhere, anytime, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but my brain just completely stopped. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it can, once you start down that rabbit hole, like I said, it can get gruesome, but there's some really, you get to see people do some really cool things and live to tell about it. Absolutely. Um, Ori, this has been absolutely amazing to to catch up with you. Um, It's been far too long and let's make sure it's not as long next time. Um, Yeah, I think you're one of the the best people that I've uh, come into contact with over this this madness that is wrestling social media. Um, And I really do appreciate you taking the time to to chat with little old me. Um, Any day, any time, my friend. But let the let the Badlands listeners know where they can uh, they can find you on social media and um, give them all those details. I am Oriona seventy five on Twitter and on TikTok. If you're one of those people who <laughs> likes TikTok, O R I O N A seven five, and uh, I'm actually Oriona seven on Twitch. If I can ever get that up and running, so basically same lettering, same formation formation. No five, because somebody already had it, and I don't know how to get it away from them. Wow. So somebody already had that. that. Yeah, and they don't stream either. And so I'm, I may try and contact them and say, um, hi, can I um have this? Because this is me everywhere else, and I'd actually like to stream with it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so That's really weird. I, I thought the same I mean, thing. Because, it, it, I mean, no disrespect, it's, it's not like a John Smith or like right. a, it's not something really common. So it's it's interesting that someone else has, has got that name. Hmm. I know. I'm, I might have to research it a little bit more, see if I could reach out to them on Twitch and see if mm-hmm. I can get that that uh, account or whatever if they're not using it. Hopefully I can, if, if that happens, I c- they'll respond and I can maybe reclaim my name, sort of. <laughs> so... Either way, uh, definitely go and follow Ori on, on uh, all, her, also, all her social medias. Uh, I'll certainly be going to follow her on, on TikTok. I'm not a, a TikToker, but I follow uh, a couple of friends on there just to, to give them uh, props, and I'll certainly be following you on there. Um, and if you do get your Twitch up and running, absolutely uh, let me know, and I'll I'll certainly be over there giving you a, a, a sub on there as well. But... Um, if you feel that following me, you can do on Twitter at DJ Kurtbear. I'm always involved in a, a wrestling argument or uh, I'm getting blocked by somebody or other. Um, <laughs> follow Paul at, at Rain Counter. Um, yeah, show him some love. Follow the show at Badlands Pod. Uh, definitely follow the network uh, at Chairshot uh, Radio. Um, thank you all for listening. And uh, that is the end. Chairshot.com. Always use your head. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.